0: Halloween is such a weird holiday because like kids dress up as superheroes, some women dress up as prostitutes. Um, I had someone on my street. I said that I said, "Oh, are you a prostitute for Halloween?" And she said, "No, I'm a witch." I'm like, "Well, if the witch was a hooker, then yes." Um, we're not really good friends, um, <clears throat> but it's an odd, it's an odd, uh, odd, odd, odd holiday. Today's actually also. Um, The birthday of the Reformation, those of you that are familiar with church history, I know some of this is like total geek talk, but um, on October 31st, 1517, a guy by the name of Martin Luther, um, he nailed what's called the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle in Germany, and uh, that's what began what we call the Protestant Reformation. And, uh, it was getting rid of all the unbiblical practices in the church, which was like the selling of indulgences, not allowing people, uh, if you, uh, to ha- own a Bible, that was one of the, the teachings of the church at the time, is that, that the average person was too, um, unintelligent to be able to understand the Bible. So if you have a Bible here today, you can thank Martin Luther um, for all of his uh, great work. And uh, so today is kind of like the birthday of of, uh, Protestantism. And uh, uh, speaking of that, uh, my birthday was last week. Uh, uh, Thank you. Thank you. There's no need to clap. You can just send gifts uh, and I will feel the love. Um, But uh, I turned a ripe Thirty-seven, Because I'm not just 30, I'm a ripe 37. Um, but we actually took a couple of days off in the middle of the week and went to Disney World because where wouldn't you want to go with, with uh, on your birthday except to places with, like, hundreds of thousands of people and wait in line. Um, and so um, I don't know if you do this, but I have this thing, and I'm dealing with the throat thing, so if I start sounding like Kermit the Frog, it's my apologies. Um, but I, I, I have this thing when I go to Disney because if you have kids um it takes forever to get to Orlando it does because every half an hour these kids have to stop they have to go to the bathroom if you got little kids in diapers you got to change diapers you got to let them walk around a little bit or they start going absolutely berserk and so um my whole thing is like I, what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to get to disney world as fast as possible uh, i don't know if that's your thing and but and here's the thing i do i always i can tell you any trip i go on i can tell you how long it took me i took me 4 hours and 18 minutes door to door um, and so I'm like very committed to getting there as fast as I can and not only that and guys This is something we do. Maybe you maybe you're with me on this. Do you ever try to like beat your previous time? You know like that's what we do like right. It took me four hours and 18 minutes I'm doing I'm doing this in four hours flat this time, you know, I gotta go to the hold it We're going, you know, or you do this. Let's come on one more exit one more rest stop We can do it and because uh, that's what we think is gonna is gonna work and so um <clears throat> I'm always trying to beat the time that the GPS says that I'll get there, you know, and um, so if the speed limit says 70, I go 75 because my thing is this. It's like what's five miles an hour amongst friends? And so if the speed limit then goes 75, which, you know, it is at times 75, then I'll go maybe 80 because once again, you know, no no cop's going to stop you for five miles over. And so I'll do that. But the weird thing is, and maybe you find this to to be true, is that like five miles over. Like soon becomes 10 miles over and then 10 miles over soon becomes 15 miles over. And so when he was 75, but then it goes down to 70. And you didn't realize it. Next thing you know, you're going 90 miles an hour and you don't even realize it until the cop lights go on behind you. And uh, that's what happened to me uh, th- this past week. And um, so now here's the thing. And, and may, if you're a dad, you know this. If you're driving and your kids start fussing or crying, have you noticed that if you're going somewhere and your kids start crying, you start driving faster? Because your thing is like, I need to get these kids there, or at least get out of the car, you know, one or the other. But I got, I've got to stop this crying. And so, like, my foot starts getting heavier the more the kids start fussing, crying, are we there yet, and all that. You know, I start going crazy, and kids ask that question. And so I'm doing this, and now the kids are fussing a bit, and so I stop the car, uh, because the cop is telling me to. And so I get there. Um, so it's not really by by. My will. So the cop gets out of the car and as he's walking over, the kids decide to get totally silent. And I'm like, come on. And I look in the back and and I'm like, you know, you were just like crying and I need something because I got out of a ticket once because my daughter was screaming bloody murder. I thanked her later. And um, and the guy, the cop came up to me and he just saw how much my daughter was crying. And I think he just felt bad. Like you got another hour before you get home. That's punishment enough um crying all the way home which basically is what it was and so what what happened is is that my kids then get totally quiet my daughter we stopped the car my daughter picks up a book and starts reading it my son starts looking around at the ceiling because you know the ceiling of a car is so fascinating he's and i'm like come on guys start crying do something whine. i've never asked you to whine in your life do give me something well the guy comes over i mean you could hear a pin drop in this car and he stops and he says you know um you know, license and registration. Uh, sir, do you know, um, do you know why I stopped you? And, you know, everything in me wanted to say no. Because, I'm a sinner, like all of you. And, uh, cause, and I, and cause I, we all have this inclination. You get caught and you don't want to go, oh, me? You mean it's not a hundred around here? Is, that, is this, isn't the Autobahn? Uh, and, uh, so, you know, I said, yes, officer. Uh, and he says, do you know, do you know what the speed limit is here? And I said, it's 75. He goes, actually, it's 70. And I'm like, well, that, you know, that's something. And, uh, and, and he says, um, anyway, so I'm giving him like truthful answers. I seem like very penitent. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm repenting before him and he decides not, he says, well, you've earned yourself a $300 ticket for speeding. Yeah, that's, I, that's what I did. Uh, and my, my wife was like, Robert, I can't, you know, as, as if like, anyway, um, <clears throat> Robert, you know, I can't believe it. And so. Anyway, and I, I think she's trying to like ham it up a little bit for, for, for him, you know, and he's like, but um, I'm going to give you just a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt, even though I was wearing a seatbelt. So he gives me the option, $300 ticket, or I can give you a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt, uh, even though you are wearing one. And I said, well, I'll, go ta- I'll, ta- I'll take the seatbelt ticket. <laughs> well, first time in my life I've ever asked for a ticket, by the way. That's like the amazing psychology of this whole thing. So I get the seatbelt ticket, which is like whatever, 60, 80 bucks. Or I forget what it was. I haven't paid it yet. Uh, I guess I n- note to self, do that. Um, and so, but it's like, you know, and then, and then like uh, he gives me, he gives me the ticket. And Carrie, um, we drive away and Carrie says, that was the nicest ticket experience ever. And I'm like, in what universe? We still got a ticket. The, be- the best ticket is when you don't get one. That's the best ticket experience ever. She's like, but the guy was so nice. And I'm like, we have so different definitions of nice, you know, um, <clears throat> here's why I tell you that story. I tell you that story because there's this thing, this like slippery slope that all of us tend to live on. <clears throat> and what it is, is that like you're driving and five becomes 10, 10 miles becomes 15 miles more, 15 becomes 20. And, and, and it's because all of us have this tendency towards more um if i'm going fast i want to go faster if i have more i i don't want enough it's not enough um, because all of us were born with appetites we were all born with cravings we we're all born with desires you say well all of us are born with appetites all of us would agree that there's there's an appetite that all of us have there's there's food that's an appetite sex that's an appetite there's um well i'm sure there's others but we know there's food and sex those are definitely appetites um, and so with each of us there's these appetites, and the weird thing about appetites is that there's only one word that our appetites know. There's only one word in their vocabulary, and that is the word more. Your appetites don't ever say, like, you know, that, that's it, I'm done, right? You ever, you know, some of us are, are going to, you know, um, eat candy tonight, right? Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be Thanksgiving for me. Um, you know, what I do, and by the way, you can do this with your kids. I take this opportunity. Um, I take like uh, Halloween is always the opportunity that I teach kids about tithing. And so but in um, but see, in this thing, I get to be God. And so I'm like, take all your candy. Give me the first 10 percent and then you can keep the rest. You keep the Brock's, all the cheap Publix candy. I'll keep like Milky Way, you know, Kit Kat. And uh, because you always give God your first and your best. And um, at least that's what I teach my kids on Halloween. And um, but but the thing is this is that even if you have a bunch of candy and you know, it'll happen. Some of us will eat more candy than we probably should. And we'll say, I'm never eating candy again. Oh, I feel terrible. Where's the Pepto? You know, what happens two hours after. Dude, are, are there any Snickers left? Why? Because your appetite is ne- it's never done. Right. What every appetite that we have, it's just it's there's an appetite for more. Um, and so the, and the thing is this about appetites is that we, you know, there's nothing wrong with appetites. God created them. But the problem is, even though God created them, sin twisted them. And so now there's an appetite that we might have for intimacy. Uh, but here's what will happen is that sin twists it and makes it something that's just a physical act. that doesn't really mean anything. And you know what we find when we, just, when we go that route is that it doesn't ever really satisfy the real desire that God put in us in the, in the beginning. A guy has a craving, a desire to be respected. There's nothing wrong with that. To be respected by his family and by his peers. But when that craving, that desire gets out of control, he will neglect everything else and just become this workaholic because that's the place where he finds respect and that's the place where he finds acceptance and approval in how he does. And everything else will go by the wayside except for this, this one thing. Is the desire wrong? No. But it's when it gets twisted by sin that it becomes problematic. You see, the Bible says this, it's in your notes, and I hope you have your notes and take some, uh, we gave you a pen so you can take notes as well. Uh, but the Bible says this in James chapter 1. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What we're going to look at today is a hero, a guy by the name of Gideon that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the thing that's amazing about Gideon is that he really was a hero to Israel. He led Israel to victory to um, take off the oppression of the Midianites. He set the nation on a good path back to God. But there were some things happening in Gideon's life. There were these cravings, these desires, these appetites that he had that went unchecked. And as they went unchecked, they began to twist him in a certain way. And, and what began to take place was they not only affected him, they affected those around him, they affected the entire nation. And here's the thing that's important for us as we talk about the desires and cravings and, and all these things that Gideon had is that sometimes they the very same that ones that we have. And, and, and here's the thing why this is so important for us is that if we don't learn to manage our desires and cravings and appetites that we have, they will wipe us out. You see, just like the verse read, we get dragged away and enticed when desire gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. You see, you don't manage sexual desires and cravings. They'll destroy your relationships. If you don't know how to find acceptance in God and you look for acceptance in other people, you will smother every relationship that you have and you'll and you'll just you'll kill it. You don't manage your cravings for more. You know what will happen? You will never experience contentment what God has already blessed you with. And that's what we're going to begin to see in these final days of Gideon. Look at chapter eight of Judges. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Then Gideon said to him, I would like to make a request of you. That each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And so, an- so they answered, we will gladly give them. So he- they spread out a garment and each man threw his earrings into his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, which by the way is more money than either of us, any of us have ever seen in our lives. Um, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes which were the kings uh, which were on the kings of Midian besides the chain that were around the camels necks and Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in the city his city Ophrah and all Israel played the harlot with it there and it became a snare to Gideon and to his house thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon now, here's the thing. You read this and you're like, man, that sounds like Gideon's such a good guy. Until we really begin to dig and we find what's actually happening. The first thing that I want to show you, the desire that he has is this. And this is what we have to do. We have to manage the desire for dependence with significance. Dependence, what I mean by that is the need to be needed. We manage the desire for dependence with significance. My, um, I have a daughter that's almost four. She'll be four at the end of January. And I mean, I'm just amazed at how much how fast she's growing, and um, she just, you know, she she wants to be very independent, and like last night, I gave her a bath, and we're doing like pajamas and all that, and, and um, my son was already there, he already has pajamas on, and so I go to put her pajamas on, she says, no, 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 Bambi, I will do it all by myself, so I gave her the pajamas, now this is not like easy pajamas, it's not like just a shirt and shorts or something, it's like one of those pajamas that have like the footies. And then you, it's like a full, like, bodysuit, you know? And so it's got the feet, it's got the whole thing, and it zips from the toes all the way up to the top. And so she says, I'll do it all by myself. And I say, okay, well, I'm gonna put, no, 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 but you come watch me. She wants me to see her put the pajamas on. I'm like, alright, well, let's, let's do this. And so I'm watching, and she, like, lays on the floor. That's, like, the first thing, And she lays the thing out. She lays on the floor, and then she puts one foot up. And by the way, I can promise you this, any, any garment that I would have to lay on the floor to put on, I can just guarantee you it isn't going to happen for me. So, but anyway, she's excited, so she kind of puts this thing, she puts one foot on, then she slides the other foot on, then she stands up, then she picks the thing up, twists all around, puts one arm through, the other arm through, and then she zips it up and she's like, check it out. I can do this all by myself. I'm amazed. We clap. We dance around. It's this great thing. Um, but like everything else, she's trying to become more independent. I'm, I'm dropping her. I, I drop me off at school every day on my way to the office. And um, some days she wants to walk with me and hold, hold my hand as she hold, like drags her little book bag. And, um, and so but some days, not all the time, but some days she wants to walk ahead of me. Like when one of her other friends and from class shows up and their parents are bringing them to class, she wants to walk with her friend. And she doesn't want to walk with me as if I'm not cool enough to walk with her. And I tell her, I, I tell her, like, well, she's like, no, Papa, you stay back. I'm going to walk with my friend. And I'm like, listen, Missy, I'm plenty cool. All right. Back in the 70s. I used to rock these halls with my John Travolta suit, white suit from Saturday Night Fever. So look out. She has no idea what any of this means, but I felt a lot better and. So did the parent that was walking with me. And, um, and, uh, and here, now here's the weird thing about parenting, and some of you are parents here, some of you will be parents, um, but here's the weird thing about parenting, is that your kids are born needing you for everything. Because just like, you know, kids aren't born with, they're not, with the ability to not do really very much of anything. And then they start learning to do stuff for themselves and it's really cute. And what happens is, is that they begin to gain more and more independence. And as parents, you know how, how we can feel as though we're less and less needed by them. And what that can do is, is that if you're a parent and you've made your kids your entire world and you derive your significance solely from um, teaching them and, and, and parenting them. Here's what happens when they don't really need you anymore. You start thinking they don't want you anymore. And now you begin to resent them. And so many parental relationships go south when when kids start, you know, progressing and they start learning more and they start becoming a little bit more independent. But here's the odd part of that. That's what we're supposed to train kids to do. We're supposed to train kids to to to. OK. Um, all, right, all right. We'll do that. This is random clapping. Ah, all right. That's good. <clears throat> yeah. All right. You know, there's some parts that I expect you to clap. This is that wasn't one of them. You know, um, I will cue you on the parts you're supposed to clap. But uh, but but that's the thing is that, you know, we're supposed to teach kids um, to do. You know what it is? You guys are fanning yourselves and you're getting all like Pentecostal. That's what it is, you know, and you're like, you know, grab the mic. You've got to grab the mic, you know, and it's like that's uh, that's not how I roll. But anyway, um, just maybe Um Now, now here's the thing, and this is the thing that's so important. Listen, as kids grow, they don't, they may not need you to tie, tie their shoes for them, but they are gonna need you to help them to take the next steps, uh, in, in in their lives. And, And, and here's the thing that happens, is that all of us have a desire for significance. That's the real desire that we have is is, to, is that we've made a significant impact in someone else's life that when we leave this planet and go from this life into the kingdom of God is that we this place would be different because of us. We're, we're born with a with a desire for significance. But here's how that gets twisted. It gets twisted in that we that what we we create this desire that we just need to be needed. Oh, and that's something else entirely because significance comes to us from God who created us, who formed us in his image, who gives us purpose and meaning and direction and worth and value. But when I decide that I need to be needed by somebody else, now everything in my life is contingent on this person needing me. Well, what happens when that person becomes independent and they don't, quote unquote, need me anymore for everything? And that's the problem. You see, the Bible teaches us is that we're we have significance because we're a child of God, because we're created in his image. That we're loved by him, not because of what we perform or what we do, but simply because of who, of who he is. Because our God is, is love. But see, the, the challenge is, and this is the problem that happens with Gideon. God gave Gideon this incredible victory. The people needed him to lead them into battle, so that, and they had this incredible victory. Well, now what? Now they say, well, Gideon, we want you to be our king. And, and it's like there's this verse that he says, it, it sounds so cool. Gideon sounds so humble. Because Gideon says, I will not be your king. The Lord will be your king. That sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? The problem is what we're going to read about in verse 32 is that he has a son named Abimelech. You know what the name Abimelech means? It's two, two words in Hebrew. Abi, which comes from Abba, which means uh, my father, and Melech, which means the king. His, he has a son. He calls him uh, Abimelech, my father, the king. We want you to be the king. I'm not the king. Have you met my son, my father, the king? Uh, and it's like, well, what's happening there is that he wants to rule over the people, but he doesn't want to be the king and said he wants to do something different. And it says that he takes all of this gold and he creates this golden ephod. Now, what's an ephod? Here's a picture of one. An ephod is something that the high priest wore. Um, and by the way, I'm going to take you, you know. We've been talking about some fun stuff. We're going to drill down a little bit. So if you want to put your theological cap on, we're going to we're going to cover some stuff that's going to give you kind of broaden your biblical perspective here for a few moments. Um, this is something that in according to the book of Exodus, God t- told Moses to create so that the high priest would wear this. Now, this is the ephod part of the ephod. It was called the breastplate. You'll see there on the breastplate. There's 12 stones. This is obviously a replica, but there would be 12 stones on this breastplate. Now, here's the thing that's important. The 12 stones were representative, of course, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what was unique about the ephod is that when you wanted to inquire of God, you wanted God, you wanted to ask a question of him, you would go to the ephod. Because the, the, the ephod, or the breastplate, was called in Hebrew um, the sheshan mishpat. Now, I won't even have you spell that. Um, but the sheshon, uh, C-H-O-S-E-N, um or C H O S H E N Mishpat means this in Hebrew. It means the breastplate of decision. And so what would happen is is that um, there was something that was called um, in the book of Exodus um, the Urim and the Thummim. Now say that ten times fast. Urim Thummim. You know you can't. It's, it's like a tongue twister. But the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim. It's it's uh, it's two Hebrew words. They it means this. Lights and reflections. Now, the reason why this is important is because one of the ways that people would inquire of the Lord is to inquire of the Urim. The Urim and the Thummim was the breastplate. And and what made it, uh, they wrote, on, on the breastplate was gold, and on the inside of the breastplate, they wrote the name of the Lord, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so when they would go to inquire of God, they would inquire of the Urim, the lights and the reflections, the Urim and the Thummim. And so the teachings of the ancient rabbis is that when someone asked a question of God, is that the stones of the ephod would begin to light up and would literally light up and spell the answer. That's why many times, like when the book of Judges um, opens, it says that they inquired of the Lord and they said, who shall go up and fight the Canaanites? And it says, and God said, the tribe of Judah will go. Well, how did that happen? Check out this picture. This um, This would be a king or someone asking of the high priest, what is it that God wants us to do? The high priest would then go into this holy place, and you see on in this in this uh, rendering that the lights of the, um, the the lights of the ephod would begin to light up, and this would be how they would discern what God wanted them to do. And it was a, a, this supernatural thing as things would light up. And now let me give you a um, just a, like a biblical text to show what it is that I'm talking about. It's in your notes in First Samuel 30. It says, "Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech." Bring me the ephod. Well, for what reason? Here's what it says. And uh, him, uh, Abiathar brought, him, brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord. And he asked, shall I pursue this raiding army? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he said, for I was, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So when you were inquiring of God, you said, I want to go to where the ephod is. It was like saying, I want to see the high priest wearing the garb, so then we can go before the Lord and ask him uh, w- what it is that we're supposed to do. So here's the question. There's already a high priest, right? There's already an ephod. There's already a place where the tabernacle is, where people could go and inquire of God. So why is Gideon setting up an ephod in his hometown of Ophrah? It's because he's requiring everyone now to come to him for the answers. Because don't you know that God appeared to me? Don't you know that God called me? Don't you know that I put out the fleece and it was wet and then it was dry and, the, and all of this? Because now that the battle is over, what he wants is he wants to be wanted. He needs to be needed. And so what he does is he tries to make himself the spiritual leader of the people, even though there's already a high priest, there's already an ephod that's leading the people spiritually. And here's the thing, and this is the point. The point is, is that if all you do is get people to need you, you've failed them. And that's really what it comes down to, because in, 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 in our lives we are not called to be codependent. We're not called to be independent. We're called to be interdependent. And there's miles of difference between the two independent says I need no one or nothing Codependent says my joy my success my worth my happiness is based on some other person And I only find my worth and value through that other person, but see interdependent Says this I find my worth my value my purpose and my significance in God And then here's what happens now think about this And this is the thing that's so important when someone gets married, a lot of times you ask someone why they want to get married, and here's what they say, because I want to be happy. That's not the reason to get married. But people will say, I want to get married because I want to be happy. But check out what happens. Now, what are you doing? You're placing an expectation on this other person. And so what happens when you get married and you realize that it's not all fun and games, and there's actually some work involved in... Um, in, in 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 having a successful marriage and you realize like well i wanted to be i wanted to get married cuz i wanted to be happy and i'm not happy so it must be your fault hmm you've now created an expectation that you're saying my joy is dependent on you that's not what the scriptures teach the scriptures teach the joy of the lord is our strength and so if that's the case then here's here you want a healthy marriage here's what you do You say my worth, my value, my significance, my meaning, all of this comes to me from God. And if you have two people that are getting their worth, value, meaning and significance from God, you know what happens when they come together? It's freeing because they say, listen, you're my wife, but you're not my life. Jesus is my life. You're my husband and I love you, but you're not my life. Jesus is my life. And that's why as, as two people to commit themselves to the gospel and commit themselves to following Jesus. Here's the thing that happens. Listen, they don't become the ephod in somebody else's life. Oh, my friends, when we when we commit ourselves to becoming the ephod. Oh, you want to find your joy, significance and meaning? Then you've got to come to me. Or we set someone else up as the ephod and we say, if I want everything that I want out of life, it's really coming through you. It's an impossible task. And all we're doing is setting ourselves up for failure, for problems and for disappointment. What's the problem with Gideon? He wants to be wanted and he can't find his significance in God. And so he's trying to find it by getting everyone around him to want him. Because in him wanting to be wanted and needing to be needed is where he thinks he finds significance. And that's not where you find it. Look at what else happens in verse twenty nine. It says, then Jerubel, that is Gideon, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had seventy sons. That is not a typo. Seventy sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives and his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son and whose name he called Abimelech. Now, Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Ophrah. Of the uh, abbey now if you pause there and give me your attention Here's the second thing that we have that we want to talk about because there's this desire There's a desire for intimacy that we have and so and here's the thing is that you manage the desire for sex with intimacy Because there's something that culture teaches us that it's not really intimacy that we desire. It's just sex It's not the case And 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 it's the message that's being sent so much that we think we don't realize sometimes or we forget that it's not just sex that we desire, but there's something underneath that that's even greater, which is intimacy. And that's why people go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship looking for something. And they say it's not there because they think it's something that's found in an act when it's really found in a commitment and in a covenant relationship. Um, the other night I was driving home. Uh, I was picking up dinner for my family and uh, the traffic was really bad on, on, on the streets, just a few blocks from here. And uh, I said, well, I'll just... Um, I'll just get on I-75 and, and get off at, at Miramar and go home. And um, so I'm, I'm turning, you know, kind of like where the movie theater is right up here. And so I'm, I'm turning. I get onto the ramp to go to go south on, on I-75. And this is the craziest thing happened to me. I don't know if you ever had this. I hope not. But I turn on I-75, and I see cars coming towards me. Uh, and, you know, you see people do that, and you're like, people, you got to pay attention. You know, and I, I tend to judge Sometimes. Uh, well, maybe a lot of times uh, when I see people do that and I'm like, you know, when it says do not enter, that's not a suggestion. You know, that's like a, it's going to save your life. And um, so I make the turn and I see all of these cars coming towards me. Um, and I think did I go the wrong way. Am I now one of the people that I make fun of? Um, and, and I mean, are you serious? But then there's a couple of cars that were behind me. So there's like two or three cars behind me, but like 40 cars that are coming towards me. You can imagine how confusing that is. So either I'm leading a group of people into like certain death, um, or uh, we've got a problem, like a signage problem here on the highway. And 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 here's what it turned out to be. I, <coughs> pardon me. When I finally get to like the 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 um, the spill off onto I-75, there I-75 is backed up for a couple of miles. And so people are getting there and they're saying, nah, I'm not going to wait. And they make a three-point turn. On, my, you just talk about crazy. They make a three-point turn on the, on the on-ramp and just come back the other direction. So when I'm driving down the street, it wasn't that I saw one row. I saw people driving in, like, on either side. of I felt like Moses parting the Red Sea. I'm, I, I saw cars on either side of me driving. And I'm just part of me is like, you know, mommy. And uh, you know, I don't even know what's going to happen here. And, and, and now here's the thing, and this is the thing I started thinking about as I finally got to where it is that, that I was, I was headed, you know, and I saw these people turning back around, is that this is the thing that happens in culture, is you're going down a road and, 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 and you see everybody else going in a different direction, and you start thinking, am I doing the right thing? Because there's a few of us that are going in a certain direction the way God wants us to go, and there's a whole pile of people going the other way, and we start to think, is this really the right way that I'm going? And this is the thing that happens when it comes to sex and when it comes to just, you know, um, just, you know, physical attraction and all of this in in, in our culture is that we everything is just about it's an act. It's an act. It's an act There's nothing. There's nothing to it when it comes to sex. And and here's what the Bible teaches, that there's something very, very different about sex than there is about, about many other things and that it's really about intimacy. You're making yourself one with another person. And this is the thing that sometimes we forget, is that God's model for intimacy and sexuality is best. Contrary to popular opinion, Hugh Hefton did not invent sex. Although if you've seen him lately, he's old enough to, he may have been there when it was invented. But listen, that God created sex. And, and contrary to what people might think, God is not anti-sex, he's very pro-sex in the Bible. But he's pro-sex for married couples because sex is a means for couples to create intimacy with each other. And outside, sex outside of, of the relationship between a husband and a wife is sin and actually will hurt your ability to actually experience intimacy. You see, why do I bring this up? Because at the end of Gideon's life, you know what happens? It says he goes and he makes this house and it says that then he has 70 boys. You know, if it mentions he has 70 boys, you can be sure that he has a few girls as well. Could you imagine having more than 70 children in your house? I would move. (laughs) I've got two and I'm going crazy. Um, And uh, because sometimes they're just both going nuts. You know, my son, um, what he likes to do, he doesn't really like to play with toys. He likes to hit toys with other toys. That's what he likes to do. My daughter has like the little handy manny toolbox. He just walks around with a hammer all day, this little plastic hammer and just hits everything to make see it make different noise. My daughter on the other hand spends her whole day yelling at my son to stop making so much noise so she can do all of all of her stuff. And so and then occasionally to to reinforce the point of him to stop hitting things, she will hit him with something, which kind of defeats the purpose. But anyway, we're working with her. And uh and so some so sometimes it's like these kids are going nuts. That's two under both under the age of four. Could you imagine 70 throw into the mix? A dozen wives or two. Good night. I'm telling you, I'd move. Uh, you know, I, I have um, I have a friend whose wife grew up and had um, she was one of 14 kids. And uh, this is obviously in a different a different time. But uh, she grew up in, in Georgia and um, her parents owned the house that they lived in and the house next door. And so the, the, they would like some of the kids lived in the parents with the house, uh, in the house with the parents. And then some of them lived next door. So, some yeah, I grew up on my own without my parents. You know, well, you know, they were 10 feet away, but that's not the point. And um, but and once again, it was a different thing. But here's the thing. Why does he do this? She's relationship after relationship after relationship, because once again, culturally, you didn't sleep around. Culturally what you did was you just collected wives you collected kids So when people looked on said, look how successful he is He's got to be successful if he's able to maintain this household with this many wives and this many children and what's the deal? The deal is is that even though it was culturally acceptable. It was never God's design It was never God's design the Bible teaches us in uh, Genesis chapter 2 of God's design and it says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother be joined to his wife And they'll become one flesh And the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. This is God's model. One man, one woman for life, both experiencing intimacy together. And that's why there's no shame in it. Because there's never shame when you follow God's design for relationships. But here's the thing, and this is the counterfeit that Satan offers us. He offers us casual sex or sex with all these different people, thinking that that brings us the intimacy of two people that are devoted to each other, and it never does. Is it more difficult to have intimacy with one person for life than to just kind of go from person to person, of course? But that's what really brings the thing that we desire. Singles, if you're single here, let me just tell you what the challenge is for you. The challenge is to manage desire and not take the bait. That is so much less than the real thing. Couples, the challenge for us is to now look at something outside of um, the, the covenant of marriage and start to think that that's a little more exciting than the blessing of intimacy that we have. It's not we have a so much better and so much greater than what whatever culture offers to us. Because the desire is the desire. But when it gets twisted by sin, we begin to follow that. It takes away the very thing that we hope for. And that's what we see next. Look at verse 33. This is where we're going to land the plane. But here, here look at verse 33. It says, so it was as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. And the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, Gideon, in accordance with the good for all he had done for Israel. And if you pause there and give me your attention, (coughs) excuse me. Here's the last thing I want to share with you is you manage the desire for results with trust. See, here's what I know about you. And for some of us, we've never even met, but here's what I know about you, because the same thing is true with me, is that you go to bed at night not dreaming about how things are. You go to bed dreaming about how things could be. You go to bed thinking about sometimes, I wonder what would happen if I got promoted, and I had the corner office, and I had a little more influence in my workplace. You go to bed thinking sometimes and dreaming about getting that raise and being in a higher financial bracket and being able to provide a little better for your family than you had before. You dream sometimes about what if we could actually sell our house and move into a bigger house and then all of our kids could have a room and then we could have a bigger yard and we'd have more fun and it would be a great thing and provide more security for our our family. And here's the thing that can happen sometimes is that the result that we want Sometimes we will circumvent the very thing that God the very process that God wants to take us through to get us the result And we will say I think I've got a shortcut to get me there And here's what will happen We will end up blowing up the result in the process because we won't trust God to lead us through a process to get us to Where it is that he wants us to go See, here's what happens in relationships You know, no one sets out to have an affair No one sets out to have an affair and destroy their family. Nobody does but here's what happens. What happens is, is that someone gets an idea and they say, here's the result. I want to be happy. And I'm not happy in my relationship, And I know God wants me to be happy. Which, by the way, or isn't the case, but we'll leave that as it is for right now. We say, well, I know God wants me to be happy. And I know if I go into this relationship, that's what will make me happy. Well, you know what happens when that relationship goes south and then it gets found out in your marriage and it begins to blow up, the whole thing gets blown up. You look on the other side of that and you say... How could you have done that? How could this have happened? And what happens is, is that we're on the outside thinking rationally about this. It's why what happens when we look on at Israel and... Um it is for Israel Gideon dies and they go right back to worshiping the false gods that actually got them into into bondage in the first place, which caused them to cry out to the Lord, which caused God to raise up a deliverer, which caused the deliverer now to free God's people. And then they go through the cycle, right through the spin cycle again and again and again and again. And we look at it and we say, how could they possibly allow this to happen? And once again, we're looking at it because we're looking at it rationally. The question is, how do we allow it to happen? But they made, they made a covenant with God, right? Yeah, they made a covenant with God. And they actually decided to make another God and another covenant with another God. They weren't just worshiping Baal this time. They called him Baal Berith. Bereith in Hebrew means God, covenant. He is now Baal of the covenant. He's the God of their covenant. They have now made a covenant with this God to say, if you give us the results that we want, we will worship you and worship you only. In fact, um, historically, the rabbis have taught about this passage that um, the Israelites at this time, once they made Baal bereath their God and they made a covenant with Baal. Here's what they did. They actually kept these little charms, these little trinkets, these little idols, and they kept them in their pockets of Baal. And throughout the day, they would take the, the charm, the, the, the little idol of Baal, and they would kiss it and t- to show that they were committed to serving Baal and serving no one else. And it was this this thing that would happen over and over that is showing devotion to Baal, even though God had told them and the pad put the passage in your notes in Deuteronomy chapter four. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord, your God, which he made with you and you make for yourself a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord, your God has forgiven you or has has forbidden of you. And you say, I just don't understand how they could walk away from their covenant. How do we? How do two people walk away from a covenant that they in marriage that they make with each other? Because you know what happens when a per, when two people decide to get married, they're not just making a covenant with each other. Marriage is a covenant between each other and a covenant between them and God. It is this, it is the sacred thing that these two people say, you know, that I uh, that I, I take you as as my, as my I, I I promise to be a faithful husband to be a faithful wife. For richer for poor for better for worse and sickness and in health to love and serve you as christ commands as long as we both shall live But how do we do that? It's because we, we forget the covenant because we see the result and we won't trust god in the process to get us there um, I'm not going to read the passage to you. It's in your notes in the book of genesis chapter 15 God has made a promise to abram abraham And he says to him that he's going to give him a son that he's going to make them a great nation and he says, well, how is it that I don't have any kids? I'm, 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 I'm old. I'm 90 years old. And I don't have any kids. My wife is 80 years old. And she's, we're well past the childbearing years. And he says, well, here's what we're going to do. And so he says, well, how can you, how can you tell me that this is going to happen? And here's what God does. He takes these animals and he cuts them in half. And he sets them on either side. And then he has both of them walk through what we, what's called, and this, he creates an aisle. And they both, Abram and then God walks through in what's called this covenantal walk. By the way, if you've ever wondered why there's a center aisle in, in um, wedding ceremonies and your family and friends are split into two, it's representative of this very thing, that there's a covenantal walk. That's why couples walk down the aisle together. They don't just show up. They walk down the aisle representing this covenant that they're making together, this covenant that they're making with God. And the idea is this. I'm, we're walking through these animals that have been sacrificed, and if either of us breaks the covenant, may we become like these animals that have been split in two. That's how serious the, the covenant is. See, the covenant between God and Israel was based on Israel's keeping of the law. But I want to share something else. If you can just hold that in your mind for one moment. I want to share something else with you that I think is so important. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, when he went to the cross the next morning, he spoke to his disciples about something that's called the new covenant. I put it in your notes. Um, it says this. It says, and he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the, the supper, he took the cup saying, this is this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Here's the thing that's important to note about the new covenant. And this is the thing and say, well, this is like theological stuff. Yes, it is. But it has everything to do with how you live your life today. Check this out. The old covenant was based on Israel's performance. Of God's law it was the covenant was between God and his people The new covenant is not based on Jesus and the church the new covenant is based on God the father and God the son It's a covenant that they make together God the Father sending Jesus, Jesus living this perfect life, dying a perfect death, rising from the dead. And so now the covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. So you know what happens? I can't mess the covenant up. You can't mess the covenant up. We can't mess the covenant up because although we are not participants in the covenant, we are simply beneficiaries of the covenant. Now, why does that mean everything? Because the very things that we're looking for are not found in other people. The very things that we desire that God put in us are not found in other places. They're found in him. You see, Jesus is the one who said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I'm meek and lowly and you'll find rest for your souls. He didn't say, I want you to go to this other person. He didn't say that. Instead, he said, I want you to come to me. Oh, but see, I haven't performed the way I should perform. Here's the deal. The covenant isn't about you. It's between me and my father and the work that I've done. And because I've kept my end of the bargain, God is keeping his end of the bargain. And we are simply the beneficiaries of the covenant. We are not participants of it. And so the very things that we desire and the very things that we long for and we try to find them in other people. And we're trying to get other people to perform something for us that we might experience the significance and the purpose and the meaning and the worth that we're supposed to have. And here's what God's saying all along. Hey, guess what? Covenant. It's not about what they did. It's about what I did. It's not about these, 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 these folks and them trying to give you worth and meaning. I give you worth and meaning. Because of what I did. Because there's a covenant between my father and me that you get to be the beneficiary of as you come to know Christ. And as we walk into the gospel, when we receive the gospel, we receive God's forgiveness and His grace and His love, and we experience the forgiveness of sins, and we experience now a new life in Him, we become now the beneficiaries of the new covenant. It's not about performance. It's not about being good enough, because we're never going to be good enough. Instead, it's about grace. And the grace comes because there's this covenant between God the Father and God the Son, that now we could get to be the beneficiaries of. And so we have desires, and we have cravings, and we have appetites, and we have all of that. And sin twists it and makes us want to think that other people can fulfill it, but it can't. And yet here's what God says, come to me, because I've got everything that you need. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are everything that we need. Help us not to forget that. Help us to not take the bait of the bereaths of the world to make a covenant with someone else or something else. Instead, God, may we walk in the new covenant that it's not about our performance. Instead, it's about your love. God, thank you. Thank you for that. Work us that truth in our lives and our hearts from this very moment. In Jesus' name, amen.